0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, September 10th. I'm Rob Bluey, editor in chief.
1: And I'm Jenny Maltabano, contributor to the Daily Signal.
0: On today's show, we'll discuss the booming economy. The latest jobs numbers are out, and it's more good news. So, why aren't you hearing more about it in the media? The Heritage Foundation's Tim Desher joins us to explain.
1: We also spoke with Eli Perizer, the former executive director of MoveOn.org and founder of Upworthy. You'll want to find out what this progressive is saying to conservatives.
0: We'll also share your letters and an inspiring story about Rich DeVos, a great philanthropist whose charitable giving improved the lives of people around the world. President Trump tweeted last week, quote, the deep state and the left and their vehicle, the fake news media, are going crazy and they don't know what to do. The economy is booming like never before jobs are at historic highs, soon two Supreme Court justices and maybe declassification to find additional corruption. Wow! Exclamation point. And the latest job numbers are giving the president even more to brag about.
1: More than 200,000 jobs were added in August, and the unemployment rate remained at 3.9%. We're joined by the Heritage Foundation's Tim Desher, who writes a monthly column for the Daily Signal about the latest economic numbers.
0: Tim, it's great to have you on the show. I also want to compliment you on your excellent podcast. It's called Heritage Explains, and each week Michelle Cordero and you feature a policy expert who breaks down a big issue. So today we're talking about the economy, and I want to get your take on the most recent jobs report.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me here. It is such an honor to be on the Daily Signal podcast. It's a dream come true. Uh, this jobs report is is another barn burner. It really is. 201,000 jobs and uh, a near record low unemployment rate of 3.9%. We are seeing numbers that experts uh, couldn't have predicted. In fact, it broke expert predictions. And so uh, it's a strong number. It's a good number. And it points in all the right directions.
0: Tim, one of the things that you repeatedly hear from President Trump is the failure of the news media to give him the credit that he believes his administration deserves for the policies that they've enacted, whether it be a deregulatory environment or the tax cuts. Uh, Do you think that that's a fair criticism of the press? I think the numbers speak for
2: themselves. They really do. Uh, If you look at this recent report, uh, African-Americans are seeing record, record low unemployment numbers. Hispanics are near record lows. Uh, Teenagers, the unemployment rate is down. You're seeing positive gains in in various sectors, including wholesale trade and professional business services. Mining is up 104,000 jobs since a record low before Trump was elected. So these are numbers that are positive. Manufacturing, while there was a slight loss uh, this uh, month, is seeing huge gains throughout his his presidency. These are promises kept. These are promises kept by President Trump. And he sticks to the message, and he continues to put his head down and power through. I think you're going to continue to see more of these great numbers.
1: You already alluded to this a little bit, but youth unemployment is at a record low since 1966, I believe, and that's the 16 to 24 age group. What does that say to you?
2: It says to me that a couple things. One, there's good jobs out there. Two, that states and local municipalities are doing a good job of communicating to young adults and kids that they may not have to go to a four-year institution, that they can Uh, be trained in a skill in a trade, and go right from high school into employment. Uh, As I said, the number uh, is down one percentage point from last year, from 13.8% unemployment to 12.8%. Now, that might not seem like much, but it's a good trend that was not moving for a very, very long time. So Right now, it's a great, great time to be um, a teenager or a young adult uh, thinking about getting into the job market, because not only are there a bunch of jobs out there, in fact, there are more jobs than people able to take them, but that also means that that wages are rising, too.
0: Well, Tim, let's let's jump right into that, because that was a big takeaway from this August report. Uh, the biggest increase in wages uh, growth uh, since the recession nearly 10 years ago, many people uh, weren't expecting that number. And you've been in the unique position, uh to travel around this country, uh, to go to county fairs, and to interact with, with Americans outside of the Beltway here in Washington. What does this mean for American workers?
2: There is so much good going on in terms of new ability to generate wealth for Americans. Not only are we seeing the, the tax cuts taking effect, people seeing uh, more money in their paychecks because of the tax cut, we're also seeing bonuses. We're also seeing raises, and we're also seeing that again. These wages are steadily increasing. Now, I don't. I think that this is a, a modest increase this past month. It's a a ten cent increase, seventy-seven cents over the last year, or a two point nine percent increase. Now, remember, that's just keeping up with inflation. So we need to still see more. There still needs to be more. Uh, raises in wages in order to attract more people into the labor force. There's a lot of people out there maybe that want to work, but don't see it as enough of a motivation to get in the workforce. So one way to do that is to just say, hey, I'm going to pay more for the same job. I'm going to pay more to attract better talent to this. And that's what we need to see more of.
1: Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. And you all can read more about issues like this at DailySignal.com. Even better, subscribe to our Morning Bell email newsletter.
0: We created The Morning Bell to be your one-stop source for credible news reporting and insightful commentary on the issues that are shaping the agenda.
1: You can subscribe today and get it delivered to your inbox each weekday morning. Sign up now at DailySignal.com. Just click on the Connect button at the top of the page and subscribe today.
0: We'll be right back with this week's interview. We're joined on today's show by Eli Pariser, a guest you might not expect to hear on the Daily Signal podcast. Eli is the former executive director of MoveOn.org and the founder of Upworthy. Now, Eli's political views are very much different than mine, and yet he's someone who, like me, values reading and engaging with people who have different beliefs. So Eli, let me ask you to kick things off. Why is that important to you?
3: Well, um I don't really think you can you can sustain a democracy without it, and I think that's for two reasons. One is um, you know that thing that we learn about in Civics class of like um, the marketplace of ideas and the sense that as citizens, we need to grapple with um, different ideas to come to our own conclusions about what's right and what's good. Um, but I think the second piece is um, you know sort of more on a human level, like it's really hard to Um, make decisions that benefit all of us if we don't know what the experiences of other people are like. And so um, I think of it both as kind of this, there's a rational component, but then there's also just a like understanding who we're in a country with and what their problems are and what their lives are like is really important. And if we don't hear those perspectives, then it's really hard to know how to address them.
1: You wrote a popular book called The Filter Bubble several years ago, and in it, you addressed some of the very issues that executives from Google, Facebook, and Twitter are now testifying about before Congress. Can you explain to our listeners why you wrote this book?
3: Well, um, you know, I came up uh, in this early part of the like blogging world where there was a sense that the internet was going to decentralize everything and... um, Everyone would be able to communicate with everyone. We wouldn't have to deal with gatekeepers anymore. Um, you know, The power of editors was on the wane, and um, you know, it was going to be this brave new world where everyone was empowered. And what I saw happening was that um, that, that really wasn't the story, that we had these new gatekeepers, um, and they weren't editors, but they were code. But they were doing that same work of deciding who gets to speak, who doesn't get to speak, who gets to be heard. Um, and what posts come up before which, and um, that we weren't really thinking about how much power existed in that code to shape what people get to see. And so really I wrote the book um, you know, in 2011 to try to you know, start a conversation about how we feel about that power that these companies wield and how we feel about the way that they're wielding it. What, what are the decisions that they're making about what gets to be seen and what doesn't get to be seen, and are those decisions fair?
1: And to follow up on that, what is your solution? How do we pop the filter bubble? As you say,
3: I wish I, I wish I knew. I mean, you know, part of it is baked into our society. I, I don't think this whole thing is driven by technology. There's, uh, we we live in communities that are more, um, you know, one culture or one party than ever before. Um, so, so it's not just about technology. But I think, um, you know, the a, a big piece of the answer is. Um, getting people together in groups that are kind of um, cross-cutting. Um, so one of the best places for cross-cutting uh, political discourse, besides this podcast uh, that we're having right here uh, online, is um, is uh, sports bulletin boards. And um, the reason is that um, you know if we're all Red Sox fans or Yankee fans. Um, that identity supersedes our political identities and we can kind of have an honest conversation about how we feel without having to feel like, um, our very identities at stake. And so thinking about, are there places where, you know, there are other identities that supersede our political identities and give us permission to disagree, um, that's, that's one of the areas that I would look at.
0: And what do you make of some of the recent things we've seen happen here in Washington? President Trump, obviously, taking to Twitter to criticize Google and others for what he deems as uh, unfair bias. Uh, members of Congress calling these executives before them for hearings. Polls that show just vast differences in how conservatives and liberals view these things. Are, are we heading to, toward that direction or are we moving farther away from where we need to be?
3: Well um you know and and I'll say I mean obviously I, I come from a, a progressive viewpoint but um, I think there's there's pieces of it that are right on in the sense that um, you do have uh, a few big companies making decisions about what gets seen that are pretty that are still pretty opaque to most people and most people don't understand why why things get to be seen and to some extent the rules by which they get to be seen, you know, just aren't good rules. It, it 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 isn't necessarily the case that what gets the most likes or clicks is the most important thing for everyone to see. On the other hand, I I don't personally believe that it's a result of um, you know political bias by Mark Zuckerberg. You know, pulling pulling the lever. I think um, you know uh, you can explain what people are seeing and feeling um, without kind of going to you know, that what I would view as kind of a conspiracy theory. So um, I think um, the, the diagnosis that there's something really shifting in how we are communicating with each other. And these companies kind of have this very mysterious gravity in the middle of all of that. That seems totally right. I just wouldn't necessarily say um, it's, it's, it's due to a particular kind of animus.
1: Based on your own personal experience, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about conservatives that liberals have and vice versa, in your opinion?
3: Well, I mean, um, this is sort of a cop-out because it's general, but, uh, you know, I find that um, it's very easy to forget the values that drive other people, especially on the other side, and that and that most people do have sort of values that... Um, supersede their partisan allegiances. So I'm someone who cares about opportunity. I'm someone who cares about freedom. Um, You know, those are things that we can share, even though we may disagree about how you might go about that. Um, And, um, you know, when I'm in kind of full on blue partisan mode, um, I can kind of lose sight of what those values are. But I think that's actually the way back to constructive problem solving is saying like, um, wait a minute, what are we actually trying? Where where are we trying to go? What kind of trying to... Society, we're trying to have, we'll have some disagreements, but actually, there are some places where people really do agree and we could make some good headway together. Well, and that
0: that's leads me to my next question and final question here. We've been talking a lot about civility in our country. Um, the, the passing of John McCain obviously brought yeah. a lot of uh, this to the forefront and just who he was as a person. And I personally have been listening to Arthur Brooks' podcast on the on Vox Media Network in which he talks about the art of disagreement. Now, he says that it's not that we disagree too much but that we've forgotten how to disagree well – so, what does it take in your opinion to make that happen?
3: Well, um you know, I would draw a distinction between um, civility and tolerance. Um, and so to me, you know, um politeness can actually be the enemy of of real disagreement because you know, we have we have feelings and we have um, uh, principles and um and sometimes actually sort of being polite and smiling and shaking hands. Gets in the way of actually having the real conversation that's authentic, and everyone kind of walks away feeling a little bit like, uh, you know, ah, that was that was you know bull. And so, um, so, so I think, to me, I'd be less concerned about, um, you know, the, the difference I would draw between civility and tolerance is um, civility can can mean at one extreme sort of being nice. Um, tolerance is I respect you as a human being. I believe that you have a right to be in this conversation um, and we're going to take that as the basis of our conversation and then like let's get into it because um, that's a sign of my respect is that we're willing to to disagree. Um, so um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I would think about what we're looking for um, that we haven't quite found yet as a society.
0: Well, and, and on that point, I couldn't agree more. So Eli <laughs> Pariser, thank you so much for joining The Daily Signal.
3: Thanks for having me on.
1: Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on heritage.org today.
0: Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature some of our favorites, both on this show and in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Ginny, what's in the mailbag this week?
1: First up is Karen Calloway of Florida, who writes, Dear Daily Signal, absolutely make the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act permanent. As Adam Michelle and Parker Shepard and Kevin Dyeratna write in their commentary, that is the only way we will be partially assured that the tax cuts will not be repealed. Look how hard it has been to convince Congress that it needs to get out of our pockets and lives. Give control of the states back to the states. The federal government is supposed to keep the country safe from all outside sources. And at this point, the entire left and some on the right haven't gotten the memo.
0: And Ed Kubitsky writes, quote, the significant thing to note here is what this means to me and my family. In my home state of Texas, it says we save $1,181 per year on average. So in a standard pay year, that is the equivalent of me getting a 56-cent-an-hour raise. I'll take it. And if you want to see how much you're saving because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, visit the website taxesandjobs.com. There you can find a breakdown of each congressional district.
1: Your letter could be featured on next week's show, Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205.
0: Next, we'll share this week's good news story. Ginny, we lost an American icon last week. Rich DeVos co-founded Amway with Jay Van Andel and later owned the Orlando Magic basketball team. He was also a supporter of the Heritage Foundation.
1: DeVos might be best known for his success in business, but it's his charitable giving that will have a lasting impact in the United States and around the world. That's one of the reasons we want to celebrate his life on today's show.
0: And it certainly is a life to emulate. DeVos and his wife Helen made a decision to set aside 10% of their income for the causes they believed in. That totaled more than $1 billion to major projects at churches, schools, hospitals, and arts organizations. Here's a clip of Rich talking about his commitment.
3: I first made $150 a week. We were, Grandma said, we've got to put $15 in this envelope. That's the Lord's money. It's not our money. It was all the Lord's money, but that was what he was going to be giving back. And so that's how we began. And so all the money we've been able to give away since came out of that tithing business. Now, we've been able to do a lot more than a tithe because we've gotten so much. But therefore, the allocation of that money was always set aside. The wonderful part of when you learn to do that is that we never felt like we gave up any money. Because if you don't claim the money, then you never have to give up the money.
1: Much of DeVos' giving supported Christian organizations and spreading the gospel. He helped distribute Christian films worldwide and support Christian schools. Children were a big part of his life, and that's reflected in his donations.
0: Ginny, I am blessed to have heard him speak at Heritage several years ago to our full staff, and he was truly inspiring. We will certainly keep his family in our prayers.
1: We're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast is broadcast from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation.
0: You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network, along with Problematic Women and The Right Side of History. All of our shows can be found at DailySignal.com podcasts.
1: You can also subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review or give us feedback.
0: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News.
1: The Daily Signal podcast will be back tomorrow with Kate and Daniel.
0: Have a great week.
1: You've been listening to The Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound design by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.